Hello and welcome to the Winners Never Quit podcast, all about mental resilience, embracing hardship, learning from it, all to build a winner's mindset. Hosted by myself, Jack Jarvis, and if you could like, follow, subscribe to the podcast, I'd really, really appreciate it. Today, I'm joined by Jamie Hull. Now, Jamie is an ex-soldier whose life was completely changed when in 2007 he survived a plane crash, almost costing him his life, and doctors only gave him a 5% chance of surviving. Through grit, determination, and mental fortitude, he recovered, and since then has become a leading paddy scuba instructor, mountain leader, motivational speaker, and he has just released a book called Life on a Thread, and he joins me now. Jamie, welcome. It's great to have you on the podcast, mate. And and you, Jack. Great to be here, mate. Thank you very much. Um, we start every podcast the same. So, Jamie, what defines winning in your life? For me, winning, I mean, you could sort of, you could bring up examples of, you know, great sportsmen. You know, I was tuned into a bit of Wimbledon recently and, um, you know, watching the likes of Djokovic go through, probably unsurprisingly, you know, because he's just a, a legend with a racket. And of course, you know, you've got great sportsmen out there, winners, you know, time and time again, they, they kind of prove that in testimony. But for me, there's a lot of winners out there. And I so I kind of see it every day. You know, I, I'm based here in, in London. So I'm cutting around London, you know, doing what I'm doing, going about my business. And I thought about this question. And, you know, you see people and and you see, the, you know, average Joe, so to speak. But you also see people that are up against it. People that are clearly living with challenges. You know, just this morning, I saw a young woman in a wheelchair with an assistant, with her, somebody with her, could have been a friend, family member. And she was on a mobile phone making a call. And in my mind, that individual is a winner because clearly they've got challenges greater than the norm, greater than, say, Joe Average, as it were. And they're, and they're doing what they're doing. I mean, I know a guy that, um, a good friend of mine that just did Race Across America, and he's paraplegic, so he's in a wheelchair, uh, a gentleman called Luke Delahunty. Uh, I've known him for a few years, and I marvel at that, you know, the fact that... So he followed in my footsteps. I did Race Across America with Health Heroes about 10 years ago now. Uh, relatively able-bodied, as I am, as one of the four upright riders. We had four hand cyclists. But then this gentleman, Luke, as I mentioned, he's paraplegic, and he's one of the the newer team members... Uh, to do Race Across America with a charity, Blesma. So I find that extraordinary. And it's, in my view, simply put, the winners are those that perhaps have greater challenges, um, needs, requirements, but they're still willing to stay in the fight, the fight of life, so to speak, and to keep pushing to achieve their goals, dreams, aspirations. So irrespective of what you might be up against as an individual, that's my take on it. And I've learned that obviously firsthand, as you, you're well aware. Uh, I've had you know major burns injury back in the day, albeit sort of 15 summers ago now. Um, and I had to, I had no choice. I was compelled to fight through and to kind of come come good on the other side, as it were, and make make the best of my my new life and and, and sort of crack on again. And, and again, you know, there's many others out there that that um, are up against it, challenges, and you know, with challenges and they have to fight through every day and they have to sort of pull it out of the bag, so to speak, to to kind of make progress in life. And of course, that's what it's all about. You look at 
certain people, you look about the small wins in their life. And I always say to sometimes my recruits, may have heard it the navy seal make your bed in the morning that's your first small win you know there's loads of different wins loads of different winners always make my bed mate yeah no 100 percent. i love that speech um i uh i really agree with that and just uh i want to touch on something you mentioned there now i get asked you know why didn't i quit you know drawing the row well quitting for me wasn't an option you know when i was in the middle of the atlantic i couldn't go anywhere there was no rescue and you said you had no option you know after your accident to recover but was there something else what you know what made you lay in your hospital bed and think right i'm i'm not going to be this isn't me there's more to me i'm not out here i'm going to fight back it's a good question um i mean it's probably worth emphasizing that i actually did lay in that hospital bed for a full two years so initially six months drug induced in in um, florida with the medics They, they put me under it's a long time and then followed by 18 months in various burns units, um, you know, bridging on from the U.S. in Florida to, uh, I was in um, Stoke Mandeville in Aylesbury, Chelmsford, um, down in East Grinstead in Surrey. So all these different burns units for a total period of two years of my life laid up in that hospital bed. And I've not hidden this in sort of previous, uh, you know, narratives that I've shared regarding my story. Um there was about an 18-month period, should we say, post-incident for me, so post the um, the flying incident when I when I received the, the major burns injury. And for those 18 months, quite, um, you know, if you like, oddly, I, I, I was fighting. I was doing pretty well. I was in the fight, so to speak, for the first 18 months. But then after 18 months, I got to a point where, if you can understand... And I think this is really important for people to 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 listen and, and to understand this. That after 18 months, I was tired of being in the fight. I became so tired. So I've used this analogy before. And I felt like a boxer in the ring. But I wasn't on round 12, you know, taking the punches, getting bashed around. I felt like I was on round, you know, round 4,136 or something like that. And I was just so sick and tired, literally, frankly, of being in the fight. I didn't want to do it anymore. And to that end, I actually started a process of uh, considering, you know, uh, you know, a reliable method to sort of check out. Now, there wasn't many options that weren't messy, but I did consider the sort of cleaner option of Dignitas in Switzerland because why? And this isn't a sob story. It's not why I share it. It's simply because my body was in such a desperate condition. Physically, I was struggling to heal. I was 18 months down the road from the injury, from, from the the burns. I had massive um, total body surface area, open wounds still on, on large areas of my skin's surface, if you understand. And I'm so sick and tired of being in that struggle, being in that fight. Didn't think I could do it anymore. And so I was losing the, the spirit, what I call the mojo. And I was losing that spirit. And I was ready to throw the towel in. Anyway, long story short, fortunately, um, I got some assistance with the gentleman that um, effectively um, found me and approached me through through the church. So somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody contacted this gentleman. He came to my um, support aid, if you will, and he just started having conversations with me. It was a, it was a gentleman from deepest Africa. Um, believe he was from um, Zimbabwe. And we were having lots of candid, open, you know, real man-to-man conversations, me and this African guy. And he used to come back and forward. He used to come and visit me pretty much once a week. 
And don't get me wrong, it wasn't an overnight turning process in my mind. But this gentleman persuaded me to fight for about one month longer. Otherwise, he did say, look, I'll help you. I'll hold your hand and I'll, I'll take you where you need to go, where you want to go. And frankly, that was Switzerland, you know. I make no bones about hiding that. But I'm grateful that, um, if you like, um, a stranger, because that's for what he was for all intents and purposes, came to my assistance. And as a man, man to man, we just talked. And so sometimes it's good to really share thoughts, feelings, you know, the deeper sentiments between men and to to share to share the deeper elements of that and to explore that and to and perhaps he, what he did was essentially give me a, a small seed of hope which I was able to then feed off we weren't even friends we were just two men just almost strangers you know but we spoke regularly once a week and that's kind of how it started and um he gave me this ultimatum simply put he just said look if you hold on for me for one calendar month just keep up the fight, keep up this pretense. I know you're in a war, keep going. Just one calendar month, that's all I ask. And if you feel still feel the same in one month, then you know where I am, you know, and um, and I will help you. And so it was a, f it was um, it was a bit of a bittersweet ultimatum, if you will, at the time. But I agreed to to sort of uh, step up to that uh, that offer from a fellow man, as it were. And then slowly but surely, I started to tentatively almost reluctantly sort of keep going but turn that corner eventually and it was turning that corner that again gave me the hope so if you like Jamie Harl version 2.0 the new me in the new body in the new skin and and with that tiny seed of hope I was able to almost nurture that to grow that if you like it was almost like adding water to the plant and I was the new me kind of slowly 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 growing me over time and I say about growth because it's the only way and I have a thought I've thought about this it's the only way that we as human beings make progress we all have to grow if you like and develop growth in ourselves to to achieve and to to kind of mo to move forward in life and it's all about the progress so I learned that from if you like from from sort of ground level from roots level coming through a massive life-changing burns injury and, and nobody can argue that point with me. Nobody. That's the one thing I'm definitely qualified to 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 give in testimony because I was rock bottom. I mean, I was I came back somehow miraculously with huge medical help and my own grit and determination from 63% third and fourth degree burns, internal injuries, some facial fractures from a secondary impact, um, having jumped, and. And, you know, to fight back from that, if you like, that intensity, that wrath of of physical injury is is was off the charts, quite frankly. So it's the one thing I do feel um, that I'm very much able to share with 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 other fellow people out there, um, if they care to listen, that is, in that, you know, I had to do it from pretty much ground zero, from roots level and to rebuild myself. I mean, I had to learn to feed I had to learn to write my name all over again, to, to walk all over again with the help of a couple of scrapping physiotherapist gentlemen at the hospital. I remember that. <laughs> um, you know, and, um, and, and, and it's all about, you know, that having that seed of hope, developing that 
mojo, that, that human spirit, that mindset, and then to this grow from there. It's a slow process sometimes, but to, to, to reboot almost, you know, with the new version. Uh, I say that because it's almost like an analogy on sort of new software. We're always updating our phones, iPads, um, laptops, all the rest of it. That was how it was for me. You know, I had to reboot. But I had to have the hope inside of me, inside here, in, in the grey matter, in the mind, to be able to do that. And um, and again, my take on this is that, simply put, with hope, with human spirit, we can uh, we can go on and we can we can grow our lives, we can progress, and we can achieve remarkable things. I mean, look at you. You know, look at your your uh, testimony there, just just rowing across the Atlantic. We spoke about that very briefly before we kicked off today. And for any individual to do that on their own, without support, is um, is an incredible feat of endurance. So yeah, you should be should be very proud of yourself, mate. No, thank you very much, Jamie. And it's funny you should say it because I look at people like yourself and people like you, and they give me motivation. And uh, I don't know if you've ever come across him, Lee Spencer. So he's a uh, ex Royal Marine. He rode from mainland Europe to South America, but he's got one leg. So when I was having bad days, I used to think, oh, he can do it with one leg. Surely I can do it. Yeah, um, remarkable individual, yeah. And I, just what you touched on there, and you know, when we talk about your willpower, the will to survive, Bear Grylls touches on it. And not only did you survive the plane crash, but you also jumped out of the plane to survive. And, you know, I love that. And that's why you suffered so many fractures. One thing I wanted to touch on what you mentioned, he, he gave you this ultimatum. He said, give me one more month. Jamie, did you see it as a, a challenge? Because I know you're, obviously your background, you know, in the military, you then wanted to learn how to be a pilot, so there's another challenge. Did you see it as a challenge or...? I, yeah, in, in all sincerity, at that stage of the game, I genuinely did not want to be in the fight any longer. And I'm not joking, but um, if that gentleman, that, that African gentleman I mentioned, his name was Pastor Billy, and if he'd have at that moment in time said, okay, yeah, I get it, mate. I get it. I want to help you. And, and therefore, I'm going to take you by the hand, as it were, and, and I'm going to help you. I'm going to put you in my car. I'm going to drive you all the way where you need to be in, in sort of sunny Switzerland. And trust me, I would have done it. That's where I was mentally. I would have take, quite happily taken that vial of super barbiturate from the, um, from the medical you know, uh, personnel there and literally down the hatch. I would not have hesitated because that's where I was mentally. So in a nutshell, I was enthusiastic about the prospect of suic of assisted suicide. And obviously when I reflect now, all these years on, that's pretty messed up. Because I would not want to be there now. I wouldn't want to be that person in that mindset, in that frame of mind. So um, I feel blessed, for want of a better, better word, um, that... If you like, I had that individual come to me and give me that ultimatum that I've described. I fought through. I didn't necessarily see it as a challenge, but because I didn't want to fight, remember? Yeah, yeah. But I think that something happened. Like So about a week later, I remember, um, for the record, I had an Indian gentleman. He was my surgeon at the time, um, a gentleman called Mr. Ghosh. Um and that uh, that chap came in, and normally, you know, the nurses would take down my dressings, and they would be sort of like pale, pale, pale-faced, uh, looking a bit sort of ashen, a bit dejected. Then Mr. Ghosh would walk in, in the aftermath, and sort of shaking his head, scratching his grey beard. I remember that much, looking pretty, you know, sort of uh, 
demotivated, if you will, when he saw the condition of my wounds on yeah. my back, shoulder, scalp. I was in a bad way. I, yeah. you know, I, wanna, I need to emphasize that. I remember this was 18 months on, thereabouts. And, um, but this was about a week after the Pastor Billy sort of ultimatum, remember? Yeah. And the nurses, um, we went for a surgery. We did the surgery. We came back. And then, say, let's say four or five days later, the nurses, in typical fashion, had to take down the dressings on my back shoulder, my, my scalp, to, to observe, to investigate and to look at the condition of the wounds. And to their astonishment, um, there was starting to develop some uh, improvement, some closure on the wounds. They weren't as big, they weren't as dramatic, they weren't as angry looking, they weren't perhaps as infected looking. Um, and Mr. Ghosh came in, he followed up as he always did, uh, the consultant, and, um, and for the first time in a long time, he looked a bit chipper, and he looked a bit more animated, and he said, I think that we are starting to get somewhere. And you know what? I mean, that was kind of that little, again, that was kind of feeding me that little um, sort of essence of hope. And I think that's all I needed. I needed to to get a handle on something because I was in such a desperate place for such a long time. And trust me, if um, if probably that scenario had not have played out in the way that I've just described, I... Probably undoubtedly would have been um, making that call to Pastor Billy and said, "Mate, you need to be here. You need to, you need to help me. You know, and and we need to go." Um, and 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 I I just feel entirely fortunate that it didn't play out in that fashion, and that I was able to fight through with the seed of hope, with that um, mojo, that human spirit, and, and just keep pushing, keep pushing, and eventually heal because that's all I needed to do. I needed yeah. to heal. Once I healed, in a nut, again, in a nutshell, I could develop the new version of me from there. Yeah. It was never going to be the same, because for all intents and purposes, I wasn't that same kind of athletic version, say 1.0, Jamie. You know, now I was now, you know, scarred, you know, significantly scarred. Um, I had even sustained some nerve damage in my lower limb, both legs from um, from loss of muscle, loss of nerve, so that had rendered me with um, um, what they call a bilateral sort of uh, nerve damage there. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I was never going to be the same athlete. So, for example, I was never going to be a runner, and that was a bitter pill for me to swallow. That would be I'd a bitter pill for me to swallow. Yeah, yeah, because I loved running. I mean, I used to be a guy that um, you know would smash out. You know, my best time for like the, the basic fitness test in in the British Army um, was um, back in the day was seven twenty eight. Yeah, very quick. So yeah, the, and and, what, and, um, and four miles in twenty one minutes flat. So five fifteen a mile, I would average. So I lost all of that. You yeah. know, what um, Jamie's referring to there. So it's actually changed just recently, but we used to do a mile and a half. So a mile and a half in seven twenty eight. Yeah, twenty eight is very quick, mate. Very quick indeed. So what was the final total number of surgeries that you had? So to date, um, yeah, I so do, to date, um, I've genuinely had 63 surgeries under general anaesthetic, which means they put me to sleep 63 times, which is ironic because I was indeed 63% third and fourth degree burns of my total body surface area. Well, I, I don't know if incredible is the right word, but just to go through that many surgeries. I mean, I've been through, I think, one under general anaesthetic, you know, yeah. and that was tough. 
Yeah, it's not for the faint-hearted. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. It's, um, it's a it's a it's a long and and tough journey. Is 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 large, third degree burns. As well, you were um, you've battled back. You've recovered, and you wanted to get back into your scuba diving. But this was you were worried. How did you overcome that fear, and and what led you to getting back in the water? It's a great question. Um, um, so I was a diver from old, and I'd been a diver actually since a young man, a young backpacker. Backpacker, sorry, when I. When I was um, working, volunteering in Australia, and I was working up in Cairns, as a lot of people will know, that's the gateway to the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, one of the biggest uh, barrier reefs uh, or reef systems on the planet. And I did this voluntary work, and, I, and I, long story short, I became a paddy dive master, which is kind of supervisory grade. So I was qualified to assist instructors and to guide certified divers on the reef. And I effectively worked for some big companies out there, including ProDive, and some private um, entrepreneurs with their own yachts and stuff like that. And I'm like 19, 20 years of age. So I was living the dream. So that's where the hook was at a young age. And I got into my diving. Fast forward a few short years. Um, by 21, I think it was, I'd, I became um, a paddy instructor. So I did my uh, training in Egypt. And uh, my sort of instructor examinations out there as well with paddy. Loved it. I worked in Egypt. I worked briefly in Jamaica. Um, I worked in the Philippines, managed a big diving sort of conservation project in the deepest South China Sea. And um, and for diving for me was always an amazing passion. It was a great passion. But when I got burned in 2007, um, I honestly did not believe that I'd ever get back in the water again because obviously I'd had major skin grafts. I mean, you fear that the salt water is going to be um, destructive to the skin grafts and perhaps you know wear them away because of the salinity you know that 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 high salt concentration in the ocean you think it's just going to be damaging you know um so that was a big fear for me and actually truth is i never went back in the water for five years post injury so around about 2012 i got a call from um, a former employer in the dive industry um and this woman called me up and said look we've my, myself and husband have heard about your you know what's happened and um, and obviously you used to work for us this was emperor divers in egypt and would you be interested to come out diving again i said look i don't know if i can um i'm, I'm just fearful that obviously skin grafts yada yada i just don't I, I think it's probably not worth going there and she said well it's up to you but if, if, if you ever want to dive it's kind of open ticket as far as we're concerned just you know get a flight out here and we'll you know we'll put you on a liverboard which is basically a floating you know, dive platform that kind of travels around the around the sea, in, in this case the Red Sea in Egypt, and 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 they offered me that trip, and um, I sat on it for about a year, so um, yeah, and I didn't, I genuinely didn't go in the water for five years, but when I eventually did, um, I need not have been concerned or worried, because actually I found that the um, the ocean effectively became my friend, uh, because actually there is a very um, um, if you like um, a mineral balance in the ocean that is actually closely aligned with our skin's own pH balance okay so it's like the acid alkali sort of balance in our skin naturally uh, with the ocean so it's a, it's a line so in other words the mineral content within the skin assists our skin and as we as many people will know it can assist to a degree with healing like if you've ever had a small wound and you sort of bathe it in the ocean it, yeah. it can help 
So I'm great testimony to that. I mean, there I was recovering from burns. I mean, I think when I went back out to Egypt, um, I was pretty much healed, but very vulnerable. So it was easy for me to cut and scrape and, you know, damage the skin, so to speak. But so I was there petrified, thinking first giant stride back into the ocean off the back of the dive boat. You know, I was going to come out and perhaps skin grafts were going to be hanging off once I peeled the wetsuit back off again, back on dry. So um, I needn't have worried because, in essence, the the body um, became somewhat, if you like, it promoted the skin's condition like one week later when I'd been diving day in, day out. And that was it for me. Once I realized that actually the ocean assisted me once again and it in part helped me to heal and improve the quality, the integrity, the, the strength of my skin with the healing ongoing, that was it. I was hooked all over again. And I figured, okay, I'm going to carry on diving. And then I decided it wasn't just about me, that other people could benefit from this. So I started um, co-managing, if you will, a lot of dive expeds uh, for the charity Help for Heroes. And I realized there was some great merits and benefits in scuba diving for people with injuries, veterans and so on. So I then climbed the ladder with Paddy and I just went a lot further and I ended up becoming, um, I went all the way to becoming a master instructor. And then I took the big, big leap, which is a big leap, to becoming a Paddy course director. Uh, and that was just a few short years ago now. Uh, I did my training out in um, Thailand. So I, I kind of, in order to make that leap, I was going back and forth to Thailand a lot. And I probably did a solid six months of um, development out there professionally, uh, indeed to become um, you know, a leading instructor with, with Paddy. So that was uh, a big goal and it was a big um, transformation. And it helped me on my own journey to not only believe in myself, but to kind of um, realize the um, the power of the ocean in terms of healing and development for others. And just briefly, I'll give you a quick example. So I've worked with many wounded, many injured, lots of veterans. And uh, more recently, I took a very wounded gentleman from um, that was injured in Afghanistan, a, a chap called Ben Parkinson, MBE, who lives in Doncaster with his um, with his parents. And uh, between us as a big team, if you will, we, we all went out to Bahamas, a beautiful location in the Caribbean. And I was able to, to take Ben under my wing with some assistance for some, with a couple of other divers out there in Bahamas uh, for support. But I got Ben in the water. We did 19 dives and, um, yeah, we had an amazing time. And, and this gentleman, just for the record, also for for your, for your, uh, your, your kind of listeners, um, Ben had a traumatic brain injury and no legs. So he lost both legs above the knee from an IED explosion in Afghanistan. So for him to be able to dive and for him to be able to get that kind of oceanic sort of healing experience from the Bahamas, from the ocean, I think is a very powerful thing. And and yeah, I'm a huge advocate for the power of the ocean for if you like human sort of healing and development and that's a big part of what I'm all about just to hear like and you see your face light up when you talk about you know helping others is that something that has really helped your recovery you talk about all these things but to see other people when you take them underwater is that something that's helped you and helped you process and what happened to you and keep growing like you touched on at the start of the pod yeah, I mean, it's not just diving. I mean, you don't just have to take diving as an example. But I use diving in my own testimony, if you will, post like large third degree burns because 
I do believe it is an extraordinary activity because you are completely submerged in the depths of the ocean. Therefore, your body, your skin surface is in contact. All of your skin surface is in contact with the ocean. And remember what I said, the mineral elements of the ocean. And and that is, again, from my own experience and testimony, that is hugely healing. So if people aren't sure about that, um, it can help with so much. Um, and you don't actually have to be a superman or superwoman to go scuba diving. It's actually quite a slow methodical activity yeah. as long as you play by the rules there are rules concerning you know depth and the time that you can kind of breathe on the gas and uh, and so on and so forth and as long as you play by the rules um it's uh, it's very doable i mean i've taught even people with the most um, tricky disabilities like i mentioned ben i've taught um a gentleman that was fully blind um i've worked with um, a lot of elderly as well believe it or not people that are perhaps um you know, um, senior than 60, 70 plus years of age. Uh, I think there was one ge- one gentleman that I took that was in, in his mid to late 80s as well um, for, for a couple of tri dives. So it's very accessible, that's what I'm saying. Uh, once you're in the water, the water kind of buoys you up and it kind of supports you. And as long as you pace yourself down there and you've got, a, you know, decent instructor or at the very least sort of a, a qualified sort of dive master to kind of look after you, it's uh, it's very achievable. Um, again, I will say it's not just diving. I mean, I I, I have a passion for other environments. Um, yeah, you're a mount, mountain leader. Tell us tell us about that. Yeah, so I'll give you an example. So I, I am a certified ML, and I got to work in the mountains with lots of different teams, um, from schools to private teams, uh, adults um, of, of various kind of uh, um, you know teams and groups, and and. Um, the thing about the mountains for me is different from the ocean, I guess, because now you're on land. But I find the mountains very therapeutic. And I'll give you an example. Um, so last week, I've literally just got back. Um, I did a bit of work just in support of the Curtis Palmer program, which is a fantastic program. Uh, they support blue light service personnel, so sort of um, police, um, fire, and indeed sort of ambulance personnel that might be struggling with mental health or indeed physical injury um, so we even had some some individuals on the trip recently to Norway I was um, um, had some terminal illness diagnosed uh, whether it was cancer or whether it was a motor neurons disease one gentleman and um, and it's fascinating to to witness if you like the if you like the uh, the development in them, I use that word quite a lot. But the mountains can be great therapy, and it can can be again a great source of development for individuals that embrace the mountain, want to get into the mountain. And you don't have to be a superman or, or a superwoman. You just have to get into the mountain. Make sure you've got um, a small pack with the essentials. You know, you sun cream. You know, hat. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Rain rain gear. A bit of warm. Yeah. A warm jacket in case the weather closes in and. You start getting a bit cold up there. Perhaps a warm hat, a bit of food, a bit of water to keep you going, uh, some snacks to keep the morale up. But, so you don't need much. Um, obviously, a map and compass is vital up there and perhaps a head torch in case you get caught out. Um, but again, you, you don't need much, but it's, it, it can be very therapeutic. Um, you can learn a lot about yourself. You can pace yourself in the mountain. You can go as slow or as fast as you want to go. But in my humble experience the mountains work very well to promote 
growth and to, to promote development in sort of fellow man. And I find that a wonderful environment. And to, that as a testimony last week. So we took, um, I was just part of the team. Um, so I didn't lead this, but I was just there for support. And, um, and I witnessed lots of individuals, men and women, with um, some you know, either mental health or, or physical injuries, um, really find, helping to find themselves in that environment, to perhaps come to terms with what was going on and to give them that little bit of growth, that little bit of development. And it was a wonderful thing. We, it was a wonderful environment. We had some fun. We had some banter. We used the environment again for, for if you like, therapy, for that backdrop. And then we did about three days walking, and then we went down to the fjord level, which is sea level, you know, the Norwegian yeah, yeah, fjords. Yeah. Then we got in these two-man, um, you might have seen them, they're, they're green plastic two-man yeah. Indian um, canoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had one man in front, one man in the back, and we had all the gear, you know, in, in dry bags piled up in the middle. We'd clip it in with um, with the carabiners for, for safety. And, um, you know, you know these kayaks just for safety. They've got like a one of these inflatable um, um, sponson things inside yeah, yeah, at yeah. the front. So at the bow section, one at the rear in case it does turn. But, you know, touch wood, I will say that um, we didn't have any capsize because the Norwegian fjords were very stable. We actually did four days in the kayak, sort of gently paddling, um, you know, yeah, as yeah, it yeah. were, uh, to get from A to B, to get to these different campsites. And we were self-sufficient. So we carried a bit of gas, we carried the burners, we carried the sort of, you know, uh, military-style sort of ration packs, you know, either boiling the bag in the hot water in the pan, or we just boil the water up, add it to the, uh, the dehydrated ration packs to, to sort of... Uh, you know, to, so we've got meals uh, that we can sustain ourselves with. And we were hugely self-sufficient. You can take water from the fjord and drink. So it was a perfect environment, you know. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Three days in the mountain walking, four days gently kayaking um, with those um, Indian canoes. And by the end of it, don't get me wrong, we were, we were beat up, we were knackered, but we'd had a great expedition. And there's a lot of growth in that, a lot of development yeah. and a lot of feel-good factor when we finally got back to the airport in Kristiansand to make the flight back up to Oslo, the capital, and then take the final hop back to London Heathrow. I totally agree. And I think now, because you're so used to that instant gratification, that when you take all that materialistic stuff and you have to go out and you have to earn it, or, you know, when you're sort of away from all of that, it's so much more satisfying personally. And that achievement's always with you, I feel. Like if you go and walk up a mountain or, like you said, you know, he's self-sufficient for four days off the grid. I find that so much more fulfilling and I'll just walk, wish more people would be, you know, up for sort of trying it. Um, I don't know about you, but, you know, when you're out there and you're alone, you certainly reflect, you learn a lot about yourself um, more than you do sat on your phone flicking through, um, flicking through Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. So I want to talk about the book um, Life on a Thread. When did you write it and what, what made you want to tell your story? So the book was written about, you know, a couple of years ago now. Um, I actually sat on the fence for probably 10 years, meaning I, I, I wanted to write a book. and um, But I was just, I don't know, I was just reluctant. I had so much going on with my own fight. Remember, seven years of surgery sort of in, in earnest, you know, chasing surgeons and trying to get everything done on, on, the, on the National Health Service. It just took time to get where I needed to be. 
uh, with the healing and with with the development with surgery etc um, but I was doing a lot of public speaking and I was an ambassador for Help for Heroes going out and doing talks in the city and so on and so forth a lot of people were in a friendly sense encouraging me and saying oh have you ever thought about writing a book and again I had thought about it but I was sitting on the fence almost reluctant um, but over the course of time I guess all of that encouragement from a lot of people started to kind of resonate in my ears. And I thought, well, so many people encouraging me, perhaps that's a sign. So I just decided to um, not just sort of talk the talk about it, but effectively walk the walk. And um, and I, I I teamed up with a, with a, with a ghostwriter. And then fortunately, um, um, I was very lucky. It took, that was a long process. That was a couple of years process in itself. Unfortunately, I got a good literary agent in London, uh, and then I got picked up um, with uh, with Penguin, or Penguin Random House. So I was delighted, and um, it's a bit of a comeback kid story because, in essence, the book um, touches on my former years when I was a kid, and I mean, I mean, I mean my upbringing was a little bit, uh, um, you know, it it, uh, it was a bit tricky in places, it was a bit difficult, and I could have probably quite easily. Uh, stumbled down a, a more negative pathway and perhaps uh, you know I probably could have ended up in prison or something if I wasn't careful so there's a lot in the, in that story that um, is quite um, enlightening it's quite entertaining and um, what is interesting I guess is the two-part comeback kid nature of the story so part one if you will touches on the early years and how I was able to turn that around and make that comeback and part two, if you like, was kind of getting shot down, as it were, sort of, you know, sort of metaphorically in flames, you know, massive burns injury, sort of unexpectedly piloting an aircraft in Florida 2007. And then the ultimate comeback, if you will, from that element of my of my sort of human survival story. And then I guess it um, it it, um, it goes on it sort of. Uh, it plays out with the you know the elements of uh, what I was able to how I was able to really spin it around and, and and make good of the kind of new version of my life. So I would hope that the book um, certainly from the you know the testimonies online, and I've sold you know many thousands of copies now, and I've been I've been very fortunate. It's gone around the world, and um, and from the from the feedback that I'm getting, yeah, a lot of people are sort of feeling inspired about that. Now I. I use that word, um, if you like, gently. I don't like to use that word a hell of a lot, but genuinely, genuinely, from the testimony, a lot of people are, are, are taking some some strong feel-good factor from the story. It's helping them. That's the kind of, uh, um, if you like, the essence of what I'm what I'm picking up on. So, it's, which is perfect because that's exactly why I wanted to to write the story, life on a thread. In essence, I gave it that title because it depicts and explains how I felt, the, the sheer vulnerability of what I felt and what I experienced in the immediate aftermath of the injury and the burns, because I genuinely didn't think I was going to be able to make it. And uh, I didn't I didn't think I was going to be able to hold on. Jamie, neither did the doctors, mate. You know no, what I mean? 5%, no. so... Yeah. So, uh, it, 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 like I've mentioned, in essence, um, life on a thread... I'm finding is is helping people it is inspiring people and that is great that is precisely why I wanted to write the book and get the story out there 
in in the wider sense so i'm i'm very grateful that um that people are taking something from that and 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 obviously the word of mouth yeah jeremy you certainly inspired me and you know, i'm not just saying that because you're here but why do you use that word carefully because what makes you feel that way about that word well i think for me it gets used an awful lot and i hear it an awful lot and it almost um you know because you hear it so much in society in sort of modern day language it's almost a you know it almost sort of plays uh, down the value yeah it plays it down or perhaps undermines the the true uh, like you say the value of 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 what it actually means to be inspired um but it, i don't you know i don't just think it's me that inspires or, or yourself you know running yeah. across the atlantic i think there's an awful lot of people out there that have the ability to inspire i don't think you have to do some epic event to inspire others or come through some heinous um you know, life-changing injury or something like that to necessarily inspire others. I, and I see it every day. You can do good in the world, you know, and, you know, the guy out on the street, trust me, that's out there. I mean, we're at the Union Jack Club now, and I guarantee you there's a guy out there with his with his, with his his dust cart and he's got a litter picker in hand and a high-vis jacket and he's picking up litter. And for me, that that's a guy that inspires the community, right? Because otherwise, if it wasn't for him, you know, that shit's going to be strewn all over the streets out there in Waterloo, sort of central yeah. London, outside Union Jack Club, outside the station. And it's not going to be as, as you know, as um, it's not going to look as sightly and it's not going to look as good for, you know, the, the tourists and the passers-by. So there's a million things people do out there every day that effectively, you know, inspire, can inspire people, the community, others. Um Perhaps you could you could argue that you know extraordinary events can have a, a greater weight behind them, uh, and that can perhaps catch people's attention. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good people in the world, and and I think we shouldn't lose we shouldn't lose sight of that um, sort of every day, you know, just going about everyday business. Jamie, I always used to think you know people say talk about a row, and I'd go yeah you this you that, and I think uh, people I really you know some of my best friends you know are nurses and I always think they do a tough really tough job and carers for you know not much financial gain they just do it out of the good of their hearts and it's exactly like you said the street cleaner you know I find inspiration from them um Jamie I just want to finish on right having spoke about uh you know inspirations and and things like that if there is any advice knowing what you know now having been through what you've been through that you would give to a younger Jamie what would it be um, for tackling life? <laughs> um, yeah, simply put, um, never lose heart. Always believe that um, that you can that y- that your goals and your your kind of your achievements, if you will, and, and what you what it is that you're trying to 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 gain in life um, can be achieved. But you've got to you've got to understand that some things take more effort than others, and 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 sometimes you've got to stay in the fight, but if you can hold on to that uh, that will, and that desire, and that uh, that mojo, that human spirit that I already mentioned earlier on, then that's what it's all about. And ultimately, with great will and determination, uh, all of us can achieve um, miraculous and um, outstanding, you know, kind of things in life. And 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 you can surprise yourself. You really can. You just you have to stay hungry for the process, and you have to want something. You can get there.
No, Jamie, that's a great way to finish the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on, my friend. I really appreciate it. Cheers, buddy. Guys, if you enjoyed that, please comment, like, subscribe, follow, all that good stuff. And I'll see you next week for another episode of the Winners Never Quit podcast. Thank you very much.